0: States. 360 degrees, 360 degrees, three hundred and six, three hundred and six, 360, 360, 360 degrees,
1: And welcome to Full Circle on KPFA, your cultural affair radio magazine produced, hosted, and engineered by members of the First Boys Apprenticeship Program. On tonight's show, we are featuring women in business. We will look at three different businesses, each one owned and operated by women entrepreneurs. Our guests are Curbside Creamery, Mamacitas Cafe, El Pipila.
2: That's right. Uh, tonight on Full Circle, we are your hosts, David De La Gran.
1: And I am Silvia Torres.
2: Stay with us now. Don't move that dial.
1: Tonight, we feature women in business. Businesses ownership in this country has been dominated by men. But of course, the times are changing. Women-owned business is increasing California has the most women-owned businesses in our nation with 1.3 million women owning their own business Will this trend continue with this the changes in the leadership of of our nation?
2: I really do hope that the trends uh, Continue that you know, we have a lot more empowered women, you know in this in this country and across the world you know, we've seen an increase as as women being the breadwinners uh, more and more. Um, I do personally, I have a couple of very beautiful bosses that, that are females and I love them very much. They work very, very hard. My own sister is trying to start her own business. I see this trend growing a lot more and more.
1: And that is exactly what our show is all about. Women in business.
2: And so in our first segment, we're going to hear from a mother daughter team. That serves authentic food uh, to the Bay Area from their beloved hometown, Acambaro, Guanajuato, Mexico. Let's take a listen.
3: Good evening. Welcome to Full Circle, 94.1 FM KPFA. This is Ephraim Colbert, your audio desperado, and I have two wonderful women with me here. May I start by having you introduce yourselves, please?
4: My name is Brenda Juarez, and I am one of the owners from El Pipila. Hola, mi nombre es Guadalupe Guerrero. Soy dueña del Pipila.
3: Excellent. And can you give our audience a little bit of background information about your establishment?
5: Uh, we are located in San Francisco in the financial district, and uh, we're a block away from the Westfield Mall. And we do catering. We do. We have a storefront between 6th and Market inside the hall. Uh, we do catering. Uh, we work with companies, and we just recently started selling at another market as a like hot bar new vendor in San oh, Francisco wow. as well inside the Twitter building.
3: Wow, so it sounds like you got a lot of projects going on.
5: We do. We're... Keeping ourselves busy and just running the business.
3: Are you a family-owned company?
5: We are. My mom started the business four years ago. After a couple of months, she asked me if I could help her deal with catering and driving her around. And I'm basically her right hand. And two years ago, we decided to include my sister into the business. And now she's, she's in charge of one of our night markets and I am basically just running the paperwork and just running over something just
3: to just go with their This question will be for your mom. What type of food do you cook or prepare?
4: It's Mexican food. traditional de Guanajuato. Nosotros somos de Guanajuato. Entonces traemos la comida de Guanajuato para el área de la Bahía.
5: Our business is a traditional Mexican food and my mom is from Guanajuato, a town in Guanajuato called Acámbaro. And so basically what we do is we try to bring what the flavors that she grew up with and the food that I grew up with uh, to the Bay Area.
3: Excellent. So what are those flavors?
5: Every time I try a sope with uh, nopales, it takes me back to a street called Calle del Hambre, which is the street of hungry, I would say. Um, and if you're walking around uh, Cambaro and on that street, there's a lot of street people selling their food. We just go there and just try a sope or... Uh, quesadilla and all that stuff and it's just like in every bite to me it brings me back to mexico and so those are the flavors that we wanted to bring out to the bay area
3: great great so you are providing the bay area with a taste of where you're from and you had mentioned uh, sope and uh, quesadilla i mean i'm familiar with those terms Mm -hmm. but uh, for those that might be listening in that may not know uh, what they are.
5: <laughs> so, <laughs> the you? okay, so let me start by the sopes. The sopes, we make it every day as we go, uh, since we want to keep more of, like, the flavors and more, um, like, the freshness of our products. So we get the masa. We have uh, one of our family members works for a tortilla factory, and so he brings us the masa every two days, and we do, it's like a cake, like a little masa cake and we make it by hand. Fold the edges. We put beans, lettuce, beef, chicken, or cactus, which is my favorite. Cheese and uh, sour cream. It's also vegan if for the nopales or for the vegan people. So that's what we do. And then the quesadillas are not that traditional cheese uh, flour tortilla. We make the tortilla with corn masa and uh, we fill it up with chicken, beef, or queso con rajas. And then lettuce Uh, queso fresco and crema and then um, my mom is really known for her salsas to me they have nothing special I would say because that's what I grew up with but a lot of people come to our storefront, and they buy. Um, but it is so special. It is, definitely is. It,
3: it sounds like you, I mean, there's a lot of love and time involved, because you were saying that with the sopas, for example, you make those every day, so every, every day. morning. I guess this question would be for your mom. So did she, is uh, sopes something that has been present within your family for generations? Grandma.
4: Mi mamá, mi abuelita, siempre estábamos comiendo sopes. Even Entonces, quise traer eso para esa idea aquí al área mm-hmm. y pues ha funcionado. Entonces nos aceptan muy bien. So mm-hmm. she grew up it, it came from generation to
5: generation. Uh, my great grandma used to make them, my grandma makes them. That's one of like our signature dishes. People love them, even people that love to eat meat. Uh, they told me, "Hey,
4: I love your sopas. They're super flavorful." Y ahora aumentamos lo de porque la gente pide mucho las ensaladas, entonces ahorita tenemos el
5: We're adding a hint of a young filling to our brand and we decided to add the sopa salad which is like taco salad, but we couldn't name it a taco salad because it's just so americanized. Uh, so we wanted to do the sopa salad and they're a little bit bigger and we're using just regular lettuce, but adding beans, veggies, and sour cream and cheese. I go around San Francisco and Bay Area and restaurants to try different foods. And now, I, like I said, I needed to make the brand more out there. And I decided to add something not typical in our, in our Mexican food, but the kale. For us, like the kale, it's a big thing and people love it. I spend a week eating salad, trying to mix it with different things. And it came down to our kale salad with our cilantro lime vinaigrette, avocado, cheese, and again, our nopales. I've been introducing new items to our brand.
3: What area is your food from? Is it in like northern Mexico, centralized Mexico, or by the It's like in the, the ocean? central.
5: So if you look at um, the map of Mexico... Our state, it's in the middle, so it's like in the heart of Mexico. Yeah, definitely, there's like different foods, and we use what the country has. Basically, like there's times that we export our chiles negros for, again, for our nopales. Uh, We export them from Mexico, and we get boxes of them, even though it's a little bit more expensive, but we find that it gives it like a better taste. Just finding the right places. There's times that my uncle, he has a house, and he has a cactus tree in the back, And when my grandparents are here, they go to the back and they just cut them and they peel them and they basically just have them at the restaurant. And that's sometimes what we sell. Um, And it doesn't really have to cost us any money just to have it there. But we try to incorporate like our my mom's parents and um, my sister sometimes just to be interacting with with the with their business and making it more family friendly.
3: How did you get started? Did you save up some money and find a location or did you work with any community organizations?
5: We do work with a lot of community organizations and uh, I would let my mom talk about how she started and
4: why she started. Yo trabajé por catorce años en una taquería aquí en Berkeley. Entonces, tengo una amiga que me dijo que por qué no habría mi propio negocio. Entonces, me habló de la cocina en San Francisco. Es una organización que ayuda a los pequeños negocios, pues abrir sus, sus negocios, sacar sus permisos y todo. Entonces, primero fui y puse las aplicaciones. Gracias a Dios me aceptaron. Y ya de ahí, más oportunidades, procesos. Y muchas compañías que nos han ayudado, como Kiva, Carecen. Mission as a Fund. Algunos con dinero, otros con apoyo, con promoción. Entonces... My
5: mother started the business four years ago, a little bit more than four years ago. And uh, she was working at a restaurant here in Berkeley. One day she has a friend, and uh, her name is Alicia, and she is the owner of Alicia Tamar de los Mayas. And so uh, she told her, hey, why don't you start your own business? And my mom was scared because, first of all, for the language, she said, I do not speak English. I do not know how to drive. And so she said, you know what, just do it. Just start something. At that time, it was a program called Women's Initiative. So they helped basically women like my mom to get her business together and like a business plan, basically. My mom didn't know how to turn on a computer or any electronics. She learned how to use a computer for the first time, sent an email. From there, she learned about La Cocina, which is a community kitchen in San Francisco in the Mission area. She started there. She applied two times. The first time, she did not get accepted. Basically, it's a five-year program. And you graduate within those five years, and they'll help you find a location for your store. It could be like a storefront, farmer's market, or a restaurant. And so my mom just went, started working, and uh, she applied for a couple of catering places. And that's when she asked me if I wanted to come help her, because I was the one driving. Within, I believe, like two years after being in the business, we get called from the director from La Cocina. And he said, you guys need to be ready to open up a storefront. We didn't know how close it was going to be. During that time, we were doing a night market with Off the Grid. They were like one of the first night markets that we had. It's a program uh, from Mission S.F. Fund, and it they, they'll double get the money. So at the end of the year, or two years, I believe, she got like $6,000 saved up. And so with that, we bought the equipment to do the night market. When the director called us, Caleb, he said, hey, you know, get ready because you guys need to open a storefront. And we said, okay. At that point, we were just two years into the business. And uh, we've seen a lot of women um, struggling with being in the program at La Cucina for longer than my mother. And so we were blessed to have that opportunity within those two years. And I believe it's because there's two of us that we gave it our all. Within a couple of months, he calls us back again and said, hey, you guys need to open up in December. And we're like, we can't open in December. It's like a month away. He said, okay, January. And I said, no, it's, it's still too soon. And now we were scared because we weren't ready for that. So he said, don't worry about the money. We'll find you ways to get loans and all that stuff. So we said, okay, by March, we get calls again and said, they want you guys to open next month. So within two weeks, we knew we needed to find money and uh, they got us a zero interest loan from Kiva Zip and they're really big in San Francisco and um, I believe now they're expanding to the Bay Area and they're the ones that helped us with putting our loan Uh, we needed to raise about 25 or 20% of the money first with like our family members and people that we knew and then after that it was going going, like live for, for people to help us out we got the loan uh, we got ten thousand dollars and zero interest, um, and then um, ten hours. That we we still needed like three thousand dollars to go. We had a class that day. It was a cooking class at La Cocina, and this company called Black Rock, it's in San Francisco. Uh, we get, we go in there, and the director said, "Hey, tell them that you guys need the money, and they'll help you out." So I said, "Okay." Um, I was super shy to ask, and I said, hey, can, uh, we're doing this Kiva Zip, trying to raise money to open up our storefront. They said, once we leave, you're going to have your money. We were done with the class, and they said, is there a way you can check your emails so you can see? So I logged in. Uh, I started crying because we had the money in the bank account to open up our storefront. And uh, now we're we're there at the hall, and that's where we sell. That's where we have our storefront. We started with my mom, and now there's seven or eight of us Working for the business.
3: Wow, I mean that's an amazing story. I mean, quite an accomplishment. It is. Yeah, I mean it's it's almost like you know when you're when you're on path when people come into your life and make your dreams become reality.
5: Yeah, my mom loves to cry, and it's not that she cries because she she's overwhelmed. You know, it's been moving super fast, which is great because that makes us feel. Good at what we do, yeah. So she was all over San Francisco not that long ago, on buses and I believe on BART.
3: That is really really cool.
5: (laughs) It is. I mean, I mean, I feel there's days I feel tired, and I do not feel my age because I've been working for this. And like I said at the beginning, we weren't getting any type of money where we weren't getting anything, but just seeing like me, seeing my mom's face that she was doing it. And till this day, oh, I guess all of her, all of my work, it's paying off. I mean, she's she cooks and she's, you know, she's good at what she do. But with me, I had to like, just come in and learn something that I didn't go to school for, something that I just got thrown into. So it's like, go. Oh. So talking to different um, vendors and just like big people, just people that know what they're doing, and I don't know what I'm doing still, and I'm still learning, and I appreciate everybody that's helped us, and yeah, so I mean, all the opportunity we've gotten, and thank you guys.
3: This question is for your mom. For people out there that have been maybe considering starting a business, but have been going back and forth about it, do you have any words of advice?
4: Pues yo les diría que, que si se puede. Porque estamos en el país de las oportunidades, donde uno piensa que no puede empezar un negocio, pero sí se puede, porque hay muchas, mucha gente, muchas organizaciones que te pueden ayudar, que te pueden sacar este algún préstamo sin intereses, porque sí hay. Y que no tengan miedo, que, que se animen, que sí se puede. Yo empecé trabajando... Y ahorita tenemos siete empleados part-time, pero dos de full-time y tres que son temporarios. Entonces, sí se puede. Tenemos todos los permisos, tenemos todas las aseguranzas que piden, tenemos payroll, tenemos, o sea, todo en orden, todo pagamos al gobierno cada tres meses. O sea, sí se puede.
5: Uh, basically, you're in the country of the opportunity. There's a lot of help out there. Sometimes we don't look for places because we're scared or we know we might know that we're going to get turned down because of whatever reason. But there's a lot of opportunities. Like I said, we have now seven employees. Some of them are full time and some of them are part time and some of them are temporary. But she worked and we worked and we looked and some of the options that we've had, they were given more to us because of like I said of La cocina Uh they're a great place to start if you're starting a food business. But if you want to start different things, there's different options out there. It's not just for cooking, but there's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of zero interest loans. Like Kiva, it's a good place to start and just basically you have to do it or else no one's gonna do it.
3: That's right. So I mean you guys heard it here first. I mean you just have to take a chance and do it and do your research. So, where can our audience learn about your restaurant?
5: We are El Pipila, and we are located in 1028 Market Street inside the hall. It's two blocks away from the Bursfel Mall. We do catering. We have a website, which is uh, www.elpipila.com, and we have our uh, we have Instagram, we have a Twitter, we have a Facebook. We are doing catering.
4: Ahorita estamos trabajando porque vamos a abrir otro negocio el en julio del año que entra y estamos trabajando bien duro en eso ahorita.
5: couple of months ago I sent out a application to hopefully get our first actual restaurant where we can cook and actually Do everything there without using La Cocina's Kitchen. And so basically, I've been working really hard, sending out a lot of paperwork and a lot of background checks and all that stuff. So hopefully, by next year of October, we get the keys to our first El Pipila's real house in San Francisco.
3: Well, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon.
5: No, thank you for having us. Um, It was a pleasure talking about our business. Once again, we're Pipila, and we're at 1028 Market Street.
4: Muchas gracias por su tiempo y por por invitarnos y los esperamos en Ten Twenty Market Street en San Francisco y um, se si nos pueden dar un like and Yelp gracias
1: Welcome back to Full Circle here in 94 94 KPFA that was Ephraim Culber speaking with Guadalupe Guerrero and her daughter, Brenda, owners of the catering company El Pipila in San Francisco. For more information on El Pipila, check out our website at kpfaapprentice.org.
2: Make sure to check out the various resources on our webpage after the show as well. Uh, We're going to have some links up there for you. Uh, We're going to take a short break And when we return, we will speak with the creators of Mamacita's Cafe. Stay tuned.
6: Ticket for the
7: sick with that I spill Cause all this game stacks a bill Survival of the dames in the power With a grip back And gamers play the fade fools When these sick and It's cash making it girl Up and awake the from them setbacks to fast, and and Cadillac And old schools is cool Cause God, it's too. too. We gamers, lady ballers Or you could call us diehard women With the knack in them And seeing them making moves Collecting dudes Still mobbing through them East Bay avenues With that knack to attack any task They say can't be done by a female
2: who's black. And welcome back to Full Circle here on 94.1 KPFA. You were just listening to Conscious Daughters by Gamers.
1: And if you're just tuning in uh, tonight, we're talking about women in business. But what do you do when you want to do more than just a business? When you want to not only serve food for your community, but you want to serve your community.
2: And you know what, Sylvia, so, yeah, we are talking today about, you know, two various women um, uh, in, in the food industry specifically. But, of course, women have been leading in many of our other industries as well. But uh, getting back to it, our own Free Will and Franklin spoke with two women in business that do serve up delicious treats with a healthy portion of social justice. Check it out.
0: Greetings, everyone. This is Freewell and Franklin here, graduate apprentice, group 29. Yeah, Asali. And I'm here with another graduate apprentice, Shana Lancaster. And she is a woman in business right here in the Oakland Bay Area. Welcome, Shayna.
7: Thanks, Frank.
0: Shayna is one of the owners and operators of Mamacita's Cafe. It's a specialty food line business, but their business is more than just a business or a place to get coffee or their specialty donut kebabs. According to the website, Mama Teaches Cafe is a mission-driven social enterprise that prioritizes job creation and restorative leadership training for women ages 16 to 24 in Oakland, California. Um, their mission is to create a safe space for young women to thrive through building economic opportunities, co-empowerment, leadership, and job training. Well, let's start on how you got interested in starting your own business and the decision to make it more than just a business, but in fact, a mentorship training program.
7: So our business is about two and a half years old, and my business partner, Renee Giesler, who also is part of the apprenticeship family, we have been very close friends for a long time now. And I would say about three to four years ago, we started really recognizing in Oakland some pretty significant shifts in terms of just sort of the economic landscape and the way that the economic table was shifting and, you know, both who was being included and who was being excluded from that. And so to be really specific, we uh, noticed and we're feeling quite frustrated and sort of, you know, even resentful that that there are a lot of young people that historically in Oakland have been marginalized and have had trouble finding jobs. And then noticing that when jobs were coming to Oakland, kind of in this new wave, that those young people were not being included. And so Renee and I really felt a strong call to do something about that. And we had some incredible close friends and mentors who also happened to be the founders and owners of Red Bay Coffee, uh, Kay Bacante and Corey Chen. And they also were really in that same sort of mode of thinking about how to create good jobs for people of color, for traditionally marginalized communities here in Oakland, and not just kind of start a nonprofit and have the training component, but actually really be creating a business. So we are actually
0: creating jobs. Uh, let me stop you there. So tell me what are some of the delights that people can enjoy when they happen upon a pop up or, you know, where you're at?
7: Great. So yeah, where we started was really simple was Red Bay Coffee, which is roasted here in Oakland. and donut kebab. So donut kebabs are basically three handmade donut holes on a stick. And we do all kinds of different fillings and toppings. So like some of our most popular ones are our cardamom donut kebab. We also have a Nutella stuffed donut with a churro topping, which is also a huge seller. And then we also like to do some things that are a little bit more experimental. Like we do a savory donut that's actually stuffed with like a marinara sauce. And it has kind of this like rosemary, garlic, you know, topping. So that's really where we started. And then the menu has actually evolved quite a bit because we have now um, moved even sort of further into the catering uh, sphere and industry. And so we are really focusing on breakfast packages. So we deliver, um, you know, to a lot of downtown Oakland businesses and nonprofits and events, all kinds of different breakfast treats. So we make all kinds of pastries in house. One of our biggest sellers is our citrus olive oil tea cake, which is off the hook. And then we do everything from that to um, like a more hot breakfast where we do like, you know, some mini kind of egg dishes and roasted potatoes. And so we kind of have a nice wide variety of breakfast packages, which is kind of our, our lane right now, you know, and then we still continue to do the donut pop-ups and we also do them very often for parties and big corporate events or team building. Stress, we, we do a lot of weddings with our donut kebab parties. So yeah.
0: Well, you started as a pop-up thing. So many people may not be familiar to the term. So explain uh, pop-up marketing for those that don't know. And Tell us about your journey and your evolution from pop-up marketing. You spent some time at the Culture Collective and to like what you mentioned, where you're heading now.
7: So we started as a pop-up. And for folks that aren't familiar with that term, essentially it is a way of doing business in somewhat of a more informal setting. So for instance, we show up with all of our gear and we literally pop-up, you know, with tables and tablecloths and our little mini fryers. And we actually cook the donuts right there on site at the event. So that's kind of the pop-up thing. And the way that folks learn about it is by becoming one of your followers on social media. So that's where we promote most of our pop-ups and festivals is on our Instagram account and on Twitter and on Facebook. So that was kind of the beginning. And then we were really interested in kind of trying our hand at actually having a brick and mortar. We thought that, you know, it was a good time. And we actually came across some other community members who were starting a really beautiful project in downtown Oakland called Culture Collective. And they have a countertop cafe within a larger collective space. And so... We moved in there and operated an awesome and really exciting uh, cafe there. We got a chance to, like I said, kind of expand our menu, try some new pastries. We rolled out this great and kind of innovative porridge bar where we were doing like really tasty and healthy grains and a bunch of toppings. And we continue actually to do that um, still as like a catering offering Uh, So we were there for almost a year. Then in uh, September, just just recently, we moved out of Culture Collective and we moved into the West Oakland Youth Center. And now we're operating out of their commercial kitchen. We're not doing a uh, retail space right now.
0: We're just focusing on catering. That's quite a journey from the pop-up to the temporary store, now your own thing. And a storefront is in the future.
7: Yeah, definitely. We'd love to be back holding space. I think that was one of the, my favorite parts, at least, of having an actual brick and mortar is the opportunity you provide for the community to come and hang out and really get to know us. Because that, that, I think, is really what makes our business very unique is that we're a family and we're really, really embedded in the community. And I think our customers really, really liked that and really felt welcome. And yeah, we'd love to, to open up another spot in the future.
0: So now to the part that it's more than just a business, like we mentioned earlier, it's kind of a mentorship training program, teaching young women in Oakland, you know, how to operate a business, how to have customer service, how to do every aspect I'm gathering. So how do you merge the operation of this specialty food production into a mentorship and training program?
7: So we are by all means still, and I think always will be in the process of refining that. And... For me, that is definitely one of the most exciting parts about this whole project and business is that there are definitely some social enterprises that have come before us that have really set a precedent of kind of what is possible in terms of this idea of like really uh, embedding meaningful mentorship and leadership opportunities for people that have, you know, faced very significant barriers to employment. And for all of us, This business is just so, so much more than, you know, our clients and our food and the day-to-day kind of operations. It's ultimately really about creating economic pathways and opportunities for young women in Oakland to really be in the driver's seat for themselves. What it is that inspires them, you know, what, what do they like to do coming to work every day. The young women that work for us, they don't just work for the business, they are really integrated in the business as they're coming up with menu items. They are involved in every single aspect of the of the business all the way from cooking, prepping the food, creating menu items, dealing with customers, customer service. We are constantly slowing down to just really explain and illuminate for young people like why does something cost as much as it does to a customer? Like how do we establish a price point? What does it look like to budget for the year? You know, really trying to kind of tear down this wall between like a business owner and an employee and try to find a really meaningful way to make a business that is equitable so that young people are coming in and the business benefits tremendously from their contributions, but they benefit as well, right? And I think we've done a really good job at that.
0: Let me hold you right there because you've been working with some of these women for almost the entire... Close to three years now. Tell me how old some of them are and then some of the growth that you've seen in these past two and a half years.
7: Yeah, so we have had on and off for the last two and a half years, anywhere between three to about six employees, and all of them are young women between 16 and 24. And our youngest employee started with us when she was 15, and she's been with us the whole time um, for the two and a half years. And then Simone, for instance, is 23, and that's kind of our old, you know, on the older (laughs) spectrum, right, of like our, our youth staff. For instance, one of the young women that worked for us in the cafe, she helped us launch the cafe, right? So she was really a founding member and she's 19 years old now. And it was really incredible to see a young person just get really excited about being able to kind of have just kind of agency, right? in in their own professional life. And we try to find a nice balance of both giving folks enough training and information so they can do their job well, but then also kind of trying to step back and let folks really figure out what they are capable of cuz we really believe in these young people that they are totally capable of like really operating a small business and so for instance this young woman um she started with us when we literally just opened the doors on the first day you know which is kind of a clunky clumsy moment in a small business there's like so much that gets figured out along the way and you know she by the end of when we moved out of the cafe she was in the cafe completely by herself for shifts and was handling everything all the customer service making drinks making food um dealing with all the money you know hitting goals you know financial goals that we set for ourselves you know each day what we kind of need to hit to break even and then really taking ownership when like something was slow, you know, like trying to make that kind of judgment call. Do I go out and give samples? Do I post on social media? Like finding ways to problem solve when we were off track. So that was, that was amazing to to see someone really blossom and really take ownership of not only their job and their responsibilities, but really the whole business.
0: So before we wrap up, what were some of the biggest obstacle obstacles that you faced? and some of the challenges, and then how did you overcome those to succeed?
7: Well, I think something that I think about a lot and that we talk about pretty constantly internally is how do we create a business in this context of capitalism, right? And in one of the most expensive places to live really in the country. And how do we do that in a way that provides for all of our economic needs, and doesn't teeter or even get close to approaching an exploitative environment. And I think that is really a challenge because what it really takes in terms of financial you know, capacity to like really run a business well and pay living wages in this environment is a lot. And it's really a lot of pressure. And we are very, very, very intentional that our business always feel restorative because we are hiring young people that may have had, you know, very unstable history. And we want the internal culture of our business to be very much trauma informed so that we're not like A, re-traumatizing people, but B, that we're creating a business to actually change something change culture change the culture of doing business change the culture of employing women and like what are the specific needs of women
0: that was the voice of Shayna lancaster one of the owners and operators of mamacita's cafe the best way to keep up to date with what they're doing and to know where they may be popping up is to follow them on social media they are mamacita's cafe on facebook twitter and instagram For more information on the training program or to support the catering services, go to mamacitascafe.com. Now, for a little more about the impact Mamacitas Cafe has on young women they employ, I drove across town to meet their event planning manager, Simone Obida. Simone was working as a line chef when she realized she was looking for something more. This is what she had to say about her journey to working with Mamacitas Cafe.
8: About a year ago, I was asking myself all these questions: like, what am I supposed to be doing? Where am I in life? What am I contributing? What am I passionate about? What matters to me? I wanted more responsibility. I wanted to be in charge of some things. And working with Mamacitas, I got it. <laughs> um, it's really it's crazy to really realize that if you ask for something and you're strongly. In that ask, you will get it, which can be definitely really scary to realize that you have a big hand in the pot and what you do matters. Not only in the cafe, but I also got a lot of other opportunities that have given me a lot of responsibility. And it all kind of came at the same time. I still get really stressed about things, but I'm able to really see that I matter. And in doing that, I'm able to appreciate my own mind more and appreciate my own opinions and even working with Shayna and Renee. And when we're just like having a meeting and like swapping ideas on things like in terms of marketing or even like just food, being in an environment where everything I say is like really looked at and assessed and like appreciated. And like, even if it's not something that we go with, I still know that they're listening to my ideas and they're like, wow, that, thanks Simone. Like that was really awesome. Being in an environment where I'm constantly appreciated for just being myself has made it possible for me to trust myself and to trust that I do actually sometimes know what I'm doing and know what I'm talking about and that I can take on this responsibility that I've been given. And so sometimes I'm like, oh my God, I have all these leadership positions in in work. I have another job that I'm a part-time teacher right now, and that's... Scary sometimes because I'm teaching middle schoolers, and sometimes I'm like, Whoa, am I really? Can I really be doing this? But working with mamacitas is like, Yes, I can. I can work and get paid and work hard and be happy with it and be in a work environment where I know we're all working really hard and we also love each other so, so, so deeply, and we can cry laughing and get paid. (laughs) <laughs> at the same exact time and it's okay another takeaway is that i can choose the type of environment i want to be in instead of just having to do something because i need money i don't think i could ever go back to working a job like the jobs that i've worked in the past this has definitely set a new standard for me
0: unfortunately we're out of time simone obida but thanks for being with us tonight and thanks for sharing your story working with mama Sitas cafe
8: indeed thanks for asking
0: I want to give a special thank you to Simone Obida and Shana Lancaster of Mamacita's Cafe. And once again, be sure to follow Mamacita's Cafe on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Also, to contact them about their training program or their catering services, go to mamacitascafe.com. This is Preville and Franklin for Full Circle.
2: And welcome back to Full Circle here on 94.1 KPFA. You were just listening to our own Free Will and Franklin speaking with two women in business from Mamacitas Cafe. And after listening to that, I am definitely going to get me a donut kebab because that sounded really good. And you, he was speaking to Shana Lancaster, who is a graduate apprentice, and Simone Obida, who is the events planning manager for Mamacitas. And we're going to take a short break and listen to Alexa. A very talented 10 year old girl performing a live interpretation of Alicia Key's musical hit Girl on Fire at the 2014 The Voice Kids Australia. Stay with us. <laughs> lo que haces, es la verdad, no importa más no nada,
4: siempre con humildad, la frente en alto y mucha voluntad. Me arrodillé, luego rompé, me di tanto al por lo que yo soñé, yo quería ver, empecé a creer, y entonces mi sueño alcancé, podía sentir lo que
9: iba a seguir. Cambiaría todo bien existir sí, sí. el En una zona no puedo resistir Felicidad vuelvo
7: a sentir Quiero celebrar Y luego festejar Donde está mi familia, Lo quiero abrazar Todo va mal, vamos a gozar Apenas no va a welcome back to full circle
8: and
1: KPFA 94.1 in Berkeley. If you just tune in, we're talking about women in business. In our next segment, Ephraim Colbert talks to Tori Wentworth from Curveside Creamery, a business that combines the love of cycling and ice cream. And I just want to let you know that the music that we were just listening to was not Alexa, but uh, Jennifer Arenas with the song, Sueños Cumplidos. And now to ice cream, um, Curveside Creamery.
3: The bicycle, an angelic piece of freedom opening a world of possibilities that are just a few pedal strokes away. The bicycle, a great alternative to driving and lowering your carbon footprint, as well as a great means of transportation and exercise. I learned how to ride a bike when I was five years old. It was a summer afternoon near the park And it was my moment. Well, until I was outdone by my little brother who immediately jumped on my bike and began pedaling first try at the age of three. I would later forgive him. Much like the kids of 80s-themed sci-fi success, Stranger Things, my bike was everything to me. This passion would later change into bike collections of mountain bikes, road bikes, single speeds, fixed gears, and BMX. Trips to the skate park, dirt jumps, rug burns, scabs, and a broken nose. During my sophomore year of college, I sold my car, and the bicycle became my means of transportation for four years. Upon my arrival to the Bay Area in 2013, I became immediately interested in seeking out the cycling scene. I signed up for a spin class and checked out local bike shops. I learned in the Bay, bicycles can be used as an affordable food vending alternative to food trucks. UC Berkeley alumni John Romiskowitz, of the Goldman School of Public Policy Energy and Resource Group, had written in a 2015 report titled Food Bikes and Mobile Food Revolution that when doing a side-by-side comparison between food bikes and food trucks, the capital costs and carbon emissions are cheaper with the food bike. John also found food bikes have the potential to make a higher hourly wage between 20 and $25 an hour compared to food trucks' average of 10 to $12 an hour. One of the businesses highlighted in John's report was Oakland's own Curbside Creamery, located in Temescal. I decided to investigate. I met employee Tori McDougall.
6: I am an employee at Curbside Creamery, and I've been friends with Tori, the other Tori, who owns the, the ice cream shop for a couple years now.
3: I wonder if Tori also shared a passion for cycling, and if so, what type of bike or bikes did she own?
6: I have never had a driver's license, so I spent a lot of time on my bike. (laughs) I have a hybrid bike, so it's a cross between a mountain bike and a road bike, which is really great for Oakland since the roads are not exactly the smoothest in the world. So that's kind of my preference. But I I enjoy mountain biking too sometimes. It's been a minute though.
3: Other than their deeply rooted friendship, I wanted to know if there was an event that piqued Tori's interest in working for Curbside Creamery.
6: I went to her first tasting when she was first starting, you know, to think about doing this and, you know, see what her flavors were going to be with the ice cream sandwiches. And when I had the opportunity to actually start working with with her here at the shop, it was
3: really cool. Tori was in peak physical condition. I was curious how she was able to maintain her physique and health while being surrounded by such delicious ice cream.
6: I work out a lot. I go to the gym five days a week and, and then ride my bike on top of that. You know, I I have a lot of excuses for why ice cream is good for me. It's got lots of protein in it and like, you know, which is true. (laughs) I maintain a healthy lifestyle in part so I can consume ice cream when I'm here.
3: I enjoyed meeting the employees at Curbside Creamery and couldn't wait to meet Tori Wentworth. To learn more about the food bike and her experience as a small business owner in Oakland, I was recently able to bring her into the studio for an interview. Full circle audience, thank you for tuning in. We have a very special guest here. Tori with Curbside Creamery. How are you doing, Tori?
10: Doing pretty good.
3: The store's physical location allowed for soft serve and larger assortments of ice cream. I wanted to know from Tori what was sold on the food bike.
10: We actually just usually sell ice cream sandwiches there and then sometimes some cups of sorbet because it has to all be pre-packaged.
3: I was curious about what components made up the food bike, other than the bike itself, and how she managed to keep the ice cream cold.
10: The box is wooden. Um, which is a specification I got. You can also get plastic ones. And then there's like high grade fancy foam liner that's Mm -hmm. really very effective. Like the box doesn't even feel cold on the outside. And then it has a stainless steel, removable stainless steel liner for cleanliness. Um, So it's all like nice and clean steel on the inside. And then you just, like the ice cream sandwiches are usually in like, I have them in um, plastic totes.
2: Yeah, buddy. Rollin' like a big shot Chevy tuned up like a NASCAR pit stop yeah. Fresh paint job Check. Fresh inside It's the outside frame in the trunk wide yes. All the rims big? What? Do it, ride good. good Lean
10: back, right hand on the wood. Cream on the inside, yeah. clean on the outside right. Cream yeah. on
4: the outside
3: Learning what rules and regulations, laws, or challenges Tori faced as a mobile food vendor. Did she start as a bicycle cart?
10: That was the original thought. So it is extremely, it's prohibitively expensive to start a shop a lot of the time, especially in the world of ice cream. In the state of California, it's uh, extra regulated by the state. It's considered a greater health risk because of the amount of animal product that's going into it. Same like if you're doing something with meat. On top of Needing to build out a store, you usually have to also have this facility with, like, a dairy clean room. The ice cream maker itself is extremely expensive. I was able to find a commercial kitchen called Uptown Kitchen that's at 22nd and Broadway that had space. They had, like, an empty room we were able to convert into a dairy clean room that already had some of the features that the room needed, like a shutting door and ventilation and a floor drain and, like, water access so I'm, I was able to rent from that kitchen. They I like split the cost with the owner on converting that room. And then I bought the bike, which was $2,500.
3: So I was looking over some of the rules and regulations, but I noticed that they kind of vary county to county. Do you mainly function within the Oakland-Berkeley area, or do you also travel into San Francisco?
10: Besides uh, private orders, which are kind of a, a whole other beast, I only do public vending in Alameda County. I don't think I've done any public events in Berkeley yet. They usually okay you if you have an Alameda County one, but Berkeley actually has its own health department, even though it's within the county. Mm-hmm. So it's it's an odd one out from like say like Oakland or San Leandro or Emeryville that you need like a special extra permit to <laughs> to vend in Berkeley. So I'm pretty pretty stuck in Alameda. I would have to completely apply separately for for uh, San Francisco, or if I you know wanted to go to Contra Costa or something like that, or Marin the laws for mobile vending are very restrictive. Mm. And the reason they usually give for that is that restaurants, like established brick and mortar restaurants, whenever they suggest making more lax laws for it, they go, no, it's unfair. They have this unfair advantage. They don't have to pay all this rent that we do and they'll put us out of business. I have this unique perspective now of doing both, but that that's completely backwards. Mobile vending is extraordinarily expensive. You have to pay all kinds of rent. You're, I'm constantly buying dry ice. The trucks have to buy generator fuel and gas. You have to pay to park it. You have to pay the, same permits to keep it you have to like pay the commercial kitchen rent which is really expensive and then you're constantly paying fees everywhere you sell mobile vending with the trek is nice and like the bikes are v- It's like they're faster than a push cart but they're but you can like fit them just pretty much anywhere they're like much more mo- like easy to move around and maneuver than food trucks like i'll tend to just like if i'm at some event i can just kind of keep repositioning <laughs> where i need to be having a history of cycling helped me push it because the thing is like 100 pounds unloaded.
3: I asked Tori if it was her love for cycling and the freedom that riding a bicycle provides that crafted her interest in being a small business owner.
10: No, I, I think <laughs> actually, well, my dad owned his own pharmacies. My whole dad's side of the family has a lot of people that have owned their own businesses. So I think it came from that. But it's definitely helped me cope. <laughs>
2: And thank you very much, Audio Desperado, for this look at Curbside Creamery. It's amazing to see so many women making amazing innovations across many different industries.
1: And the, David, yeah. we have a surprise on our, for our listeners. We have our own freewheeling Franklin on the phone with an update directly from Standing Rock, South Dakota.
2: Awesome. Hey, Frank, um, are you there? What's up, Full Circle crew? How y'all
9: doing?
1: Woo-hoo! Hi, Good to hear from you, Frank. How's everything? Up? Yes.
9: Everything's good. So um, just a quick update. I'm out here uh, in Standing Rock right now. We're in Bismarck getting ready to go to the uh, Sacred Stone camp tomorrow. I'm with the Flashpoints team and the Laundach crew. And we just want to give everyone an update that we're going to be out here reporting this weekend and during the week. And if interested parties are want to tune in to hear what's happening, uh, they could tune in to Flashpoints all week for a special broadcast this week, coming up um, next week, that we're all here to cover. And there's uh, the rumor mill spinning that uh, President Obama will announce on Monday uh, what's going to be happening with the standoff there. And the word is that he's going to give the green light to go ahead with the planned route. So we are out here just um, getting ready to collect some sound. We all flew in today, and we're going to bring you the recordings that we gather this weekend and Monday um, for Flashpoints next week. So if people are interested and looking to get some news about Standing Rock and the pipeline battle, they could uh, tune in to Flashpoints this week on KPFA starting next Monday um, for a full series on what's happening um, with the battle.
2: Frank, did I hear you correctly when, when you said the rumor mill was that President Obama is gonna continue the 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 current uh path of the Dakota Access pipeline?
9: Yeah, so you know uh, with Blast Points and the Honda they're uh connected and we're also here with Tony Gonzalez of AIM and he got a phone call earlier when we got here that um there's gonna be a planned big announcement from President Obama on Monday and the word is that he's gonna uh give it the green light on continue the um, proposed route, which is going through the tribal sacred tribal lands. And um, there's been a halt to it lately. And, you know, president spoke out a while back, but it looks like now on Monday, when he makes his announcement, the rumor mill is that he's gonna give it the green light and to give it the go ahead. We don't know, but that's what we're hearing.
1: And Franklin, um, what is the sentiment? How are people feeling with this rumor going around?
9: Well, uh, we just got the news here at the hotel because we just got here late today. So uh, we're going to be heading out to the uh, main camp early in the morning tomorrow. And we're going to be working to uh, get that word, get that sentiment get the feeling of what's going on. And then we're going to gather all those sounds and start uh, putting together reports. And they're going to air starting Monday on flashpoints and it's, Looks like we're gonna have a whole week um, special reports from Standing Rock.
2: All right. Hey, um Frank, quick question for you. Have you tried the water in Bismarck?
9: <laughs> um I drank a little bit. I hope why is there something going on?
2: I mean I, I thought that Bismarck was the um the, the, the part where the Dakota Access Pipeline was rerouted from. Like nobody wanted it in Bismarck. Is that correct?
9: Oh uh, I believe that um yes, it was the original route was to come up here um, closer to the city, but, um, being a more, um, developed city, um, not the Indians, let's say, they, um, listened to their cries and rerouted it. And of course they took it right up to the uh, door, uh, step of the, uh, Standing Rock Sioux tribe. And they just figured, you know, they won't mind, but the water here seems fine. They have blocked it from coming too close up in this direction. But as we know now where it's headed down, um, to Standing Rock is where the real battle is happening, and it is to keep it from going under the Missouri River, which is a, a great lifeline, not only to you know, Indian tribes and reservations around here, but also downstream to some farmers, which is where we're hoping to make um, some unity and um, keep up the fight together to uh, keep these waters safe and to protect these lands, and most importantly, to protect that water.
2: Thanks a lot. Uh, that's our technical director, Free Will and Frank Sterling. Our prayers are with Frank and other members of the KPFA studios that are currently out there supporting the men and women and all the water protectors at Standing Rock. So thank you very thank much. You thank you. Thank you, Frank. All right. All right, you guys. Peace. Thanks a lot. Make sure to stay tuned, everybody. Check out Flashpoints all throughout the week. really want to know what's going on at Standing Rock. Thanks to Joy Moore, our production consultant. We've been your hosts. I am David De La Gran.
1: And I am Silvia Torres. Uh, thank you, Dennis Ross, at the controls. And stand by for La Onda Bajita. Bajita.